This is The God Show, a conversation about the human spirit, with your host, Pat McMahon. Hello, and boy, I'm telling you, my enthusiasm with that hello is not one of those fake talk show host things. No, this is Pat McMahon on the Star Worldwide Network. We go around the world. We are headquartered in Phoenix, Arizona. And I am delighted to be able to talk to another guest that I've never introduced to you before in the 17, nearly 18 years we've been doing this program. But I've also never interviewed or introduced you to anyone that has this unique category. His reason for being here, besides being invited, Pastor John Shuck is a Presbyterian minister. That in itself probably will not get headlines. But he's a Presbyterian minister in Beaverton, Oregon, at the Southminster Presbyterian Church. Oh, and besides that, he's an atheist. And as I, as I welcome you, Pastor John, uh, to The God Show, I I must tell you that as I've told people through this past week who my guest is going to be, they responded in almost exactly the same way, with whiplash. (laughs) They said, no, wait, what did you say? He's a Presbyterian minister and he's an atheist. So allow me to ask you, John, as I welcome you to the show, if you're an atheist, why do you need a church? Why do you need a congregation? All right. Good question. And Pat, it's uh, it's an honor to be on your program. Thank you for inviting me. Um, that, that's, uh, that's a good question. What, what, what does that mean? Um, and, and I think as we go into this conversation, we will try to define uh, a little bit what that term means, atheist. Um, and, the, and, 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 and it's part of a, a larger thing of all kinds of various theisms, we might say, with a little prefix before each one. But um, I love church. Um, I, it's, it's my career. In fact, I'm coming up on my 26th uh, anniversary of my ordination, which will be on, the, uh, on uh, September 13th, was, is that. Congratulations so, to you, Pastor. Yeah, thank you. So I, I find the church to be a place— um, where I can explore all kinds of important things. Uh, I, I, it, it's, it's, a, it's a realm to do that in. Now, with the proviso that it isn't always that way, and one of the things that has often kept the church from being that place where people can explore and discover the important questions of life has been doctrinal barriers. All along the way, these little ceilings of of beliefs uh, in kinds of things that beliefs that were probably important and valuable uh, when they were created and helpful, but over time they ossified and have become barriers to thought. And so one has to break those barriers. And one of those um, barriers has been God uh, and particular definition of God. And so. Uh, Saying I'm a Presbyterian atheist or a Christian atheist, I, I joke and I say I'm that because it's so marvelously jarring, and and that's really the point uh, to be jarring, um, to help jar us out of ideas that may not 
be as expressive as we need them to be in our time. So, but your question was, why do this in church? And I think that's the best place to do it in church because that's, uh, everybody's doing it outside of church. You can go read Richard Dawkins or somebody, but Richard Dawkins has a couple of points that are important and a couple of points that I would disagree with him on, but we need to bring that conversation within uh, the context of religious settings and be able to have that have that dialogue and be able to open that up uh, with people. But Richard Dawkins, uh, primarily, uh, as many contemporary atheists are, uh, is the author of a number of books and a public speaker. You have a congregation, uh, and I found that to be the unique thing about your position, uh, that you have a congregation dependent on you for guidance, teaching, why couldn't you just be a um, uh, somebody who provides care and consultation to individual clients? Yeah, a nice minister. Uh, and, uh, well, I, I'd like to think I'm at that at some level, um, that I'm, that I'm, nice and helpful and um, provide, uh, as you say, pastoral care and, and help people along with their life struggle. But I also think that this is part of that. And it's, it's interesting to me, you know, I, uh, and it actually, for me, it really didn't come from me. It really came from members of my congregation. I think of my first congregation, um, and it was a book that came out Oh, in 94, John Dominic Crossan, a revolutionary biography. Talking what, about one of our guests on The God Show um, oh, there you a couple go. of times. He's the yes. one that started the trouble. And so uh, <laughs> it was actually a church member that gave me his book. And it was, it was all kinds of heresy. Uh, that was a time that the U.S. News and Time Magazine and Newsweek all came out uh, with their uh, headings of the work of the Jesus Seminar and, uh, and, and how bad it was. And I remember talking to my own uh, fellow clergy, and, and they were kind of wringing their hands a little bit and, and saying, oh, we, we don't not necessarily want to talk about this, you know, or, or whatever. And I said, well, this is actually good. And it came from, the point here is that it came from a congregation member who read this and said, hey— I'm, I'm working on this. What, what do you make of this? And um, what she's asking for is a pastoral question. How, how do we relate to what we're learning in, in um, church versus what we're learning in the, in the uh, marvelous world of, of science? And I think that's part of the role of clergy, as hard as it may be and as personally challenging as it may be to our own faith or our own psychology or whatever it might be. I think it's the calling upon us to engage in that conversation. You remind me, uh, Pastor John, uh, of uh, guests that we've had on the program, because there's nothing that I enjoy and our audience enjoys more than those people who ask questions and who demand of the audience that they continue to ask questions. But I'm thinking about the fact that you mentioned uh, the uh, the Jesus movement and members thereof, including uh, Crossan, and uh, Bishop Spong, uh, retired now, Archbishop of New Jersey, David Felton, our mutual friend, regularly tossing things off the table, pulling the, pulling the lace tablecloth off the Thanksgiving table, upsetting people. But the difference is 
they never considered themselves atheists. They continued to ask questions and they continued to push the envelope uh, and still believed in God. What's the difference? I think that the word atheist is just just sounds uh, um, uh, not not suitable for polite company. <laughs> I, I really think that most uh, of these folks are atheists um, in terms of if if theism is believing in a supernatural being who you know who has influence. Um, I don't think most theologians at that level believe that. And so I, I think a lot of this is, is has to do with uh, how, how we're making names for different kinds of things and, and playing a little bit of double talk with all of that. Um, I, I don't think that Dominic Crossan believes that, um, that his prayer is going to change anything. I don't think that he believes that there's a supernatural deity that's going to end the world or come down or intervene or any of these stories of the Bible are literally true. Um, and so from any practical perspective, people would look at that and say, well, this guy sounds like an atheist to me. Now, he isn't, and, and, and Dominic Crossland and I, he, he's coming out, by the way, to my church next, uh, next year. Oh. So we're very excited. And, and he's been one of the people who has uh, really uh, motivated me and got me thinking about uh, a lot of things uh, at, at a personal level and an intellectual level. So I, I admire him greatly. Um, but I, I don't know what, you know what we mean when we say God then or no God. So when I say atheist, I should be very clear. I don't believe in a supernatural being. Now I still use the symbol God and uh, Dominic Crossan talks about God as kind of that ultimate metaphor that we have to have. Otherwise what takes over is uh, mammon. You know, uh, we put something else that's uh, some lesser ultimate concern. And so if, if, if when pushed, if I need to have a definition of God, I say, you know, absolute goodness or truth or something like that. But I would say from what we've, people have thought about God throughout history who sit in pews and, 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 and who've, you know, done this kind of thing, that God is rather remote. Um, it isn't, you know, a God who comes and, and does things who we can pray to and we'll have uh, our prayers answered or, or whatever. Uh, it's quite a bit different and certainly different from the Bible of the God uh, that is revealed in our various texts. Ever afraid? Are you ever afraid to go outside the house in a lightning storm? But it isn't God. It's lightning. <laughs> <laughs> But, but I usually am not that. I have. I have been on a mountaintop when the lightning, this was in Montana, it was 7,000 feet up there, and, and, and the lightning was coming, and I felt my hair. And that, yes, but I wouldn't call that necessary. All right. I just wanted to know if it ever got your attention during a storm <laughs> in Oregon. And by the way, we just met shortly before we went on the air, uh, David Felton, uh, a regular visitor in the now 18 years of the God Show broadcasts, and he introduced us to you, not only because he liked you, but everybody he likes, he doesn't necessarily recommend for this program. Uh, he knew that you were going to be an interesting guy, and he also knew that you would probably not be offended if I asked you about the fact that you have already established yourself as a liar. You were ordained. Oh, okay. And... You have already said in your writings that you have lied about the four ordination questions. Talk about those four. Okay, the four ordination questions. 
Well, uh, yeah. gosh, that's a harsh thing, but I'll go ahead. We'll go with that. Um, I think you have to dance. You do have to do a dance um, around these things. I, I think that the order here's, – here's what I – first of all, I'll tell you what I think my ordination means to me. It means to me to take a vow to be authentic and to do the hard work of the gospel, to, 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 to do that. And, and, and that's what it means to me. It's, it's not a vow to swear on a box of beliefs. So if um, uh, an ordination vow or ordination questions were swearing on a box of beliefs, I'd say, yeah, you know, that's, that, that's not of interest to me. But I think the vow is far deeper than that. It's turned into sometimes, especially when you run into opponents who want to play gotcha, uh, in, into a box of beliefs that you have to swear upon. And, 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 then that's, and that's really what is, I think has been the real downfall, a lot of ways, of, of, of much of Christianity. Uh, it uh, stopped science. It stopped free thinking. It's, does, it has all kinds of bad rules and authoritarianism because the vows, which were a vow to, to be, in my understanding, to be honest, to be searching, whatever this mystery of God, if you like, or whatever that might be, it, it just end, ended up being turned into um, dogmatic assertions. When did you make up your mind that you were, for lack of a better term, an atheist? I always called it so often, so I thought, well, maybe I'll embrace it. <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, uh, there have been, I, I, like I say, it's, it's a term that is marvelously jarring. And it only really has makes sense in the sense of atheist as in a not against a, a, an understanding of God that no longer, I think, makes sense in the world. It also has a connotation, or, or it had, of um, great suspicion. For example, I've talked with people who, who are uh, atheists, and, and, and they say that that's, that's the word that, you know, more than anything is that people don't like them. And and you can't become a president if you're an atheist, uh, you know, very, you know that kind of thing. And so there's a lot of discrimination against people. Uh, Greta Vosper, who you should have also on your show, she's a, if you haven't already, she's a minister in the United Church of Canada, uh, who calls herself minister and atheist. Um, and um, give me that name again, Greta. Yeah, Greta Vosper. My producer is writing the name down because Good. She'd be a great interview. She's well, a little different perspective than mine, but she's. Uh, she, she, she's the one, she broke this ground before I did. Anytime that we can introduce thought to our worldwide audience here, no matter what the thought is we've had, recently we had a seek on, did an hour of absolutely extraordinary philosophic uh, conversation. Uh, and uh, we've done uh, uh, Native American beliefs. We've done a huge amount of... Uh, of, uh, of examination uh, and exploration into the world of just simply the spiritual concepts of mankind in general. And this is particularly interesting to us because it doesn't matter what you call yourself. I think that it's interesting that you call yourself someone who is the thinker that you are and would cause people to say, well, let me examine this instead of just simply being threatened. Uh, so her name is Greta Vosberg, right? Yeah. 
she had Greta Vosper, and she decided to call herself an atheist. She came to a very similar type of journey, uh, recognizing, running into the double talk and the, and of the theologians who say this but don't say it, um, and, and then realizing what happened was, it. I think, I believe it was in Bangladesh at the time, their atheists were being actually persecuted, executed, um, and so she felt it was an act of solidarity um, to be to be uh, identified as such. Um, because uh, for all practical purposes, what people think of an atheist is not believing in a supernatural God while she's there. So, um, so she really is the same definition. And so recognizing that we need to have solidarity with those who are really being persecuted for, uh, uh, their theological incorrectness. We just had, uh, among the other guests I was talking about, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a biographer of Billy Graham on and, uh, Again, uh, another direction, another uh, focus on spirituality and great emphasis on the uh, deification of Jesus in Billy Graham's Crusades. To you now, Pastor John Schuck, uh, Southminster Presbyterian uh, minister in, uh, in Beaverton, Oregon, to you, was Jesus just another prophet or just another guy? Yeah, that's, that's a question that I have wrestled with for a long time. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I've gone through a lot of phases, I guess, with that. Um, I, I, I think that most of the literature that we have about Jesus is in the form of legend, all right? That, and that includes the, the Gospels and all the other stuff written about Jesus that didn't make it, didn't make the cut uh, into the Bible. A lot of legendary material. And that, of course, that's what the Jesus Seminar was doing, kind of whittling, whittling all that down. And, um, and, and so he ends up becoming, yes, a, a, a human being. He is, he is, he is, he's a human being. He isn't, in, in my, he, there's nothing supernatural about him. Um, but he is also, there's a, he's also a parable. He, uh, he is also a, a mythology uh, that points us, I think, it, it, for me, I think that it points us at our own humanity. It's, it's, a, it's a big mirror that we look at that kind of reflects back on us, on, on what, what it is we are and what it is we might want to be, those of us who find the Jesus story compelling. And I do. I find the Jesus story compelling, but that doesn't mean I think he was supernatural. No, but not not accepting his uh, the supernatural quality uh, attributed to him uh, in the scriptures and throughout Christianity. If he wasn't supernatural, was he super? And why has the Jesus story lasted for two thousand years? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question too. And some may challenge me and put back that I'm that I'm really represent that thing that's really bad. Um, that that uh, if if people really listen to me, that that Jesus story may not continue. Now I I, I don't think I have that much power, but um, that that fact that that he probably has lasted this long in part because uh, he ha- was believed to be supernatural. I mean, I think I think that certainly served the cause uh, of, of, of Christianity, it, it was that he was the best miracle. This is Bart Ehrman, um, you know, talks, uh, talks a lot about that and, and about how it was really the, the miracles that helped Christianity to grow. 
Uh, and I, I find that disturbing because I don't even really care about that part of it. Um, but you know, that, that's how it went on. But, but he, he's, he, the understanding of Jesus has evolved. Uh, and I, I, I think that as a human being, he can still have something very powerful to say to us. Muhammad is a human being in the uh, Islamic tradition, but he has, uh, you know, his, he has still has something to say and still has a lot of followers. So you don't have to be, uh, the figure doesn't have to be supernatural. Your website, delightfully, John Shuck, is called Shuck and Jive. And uh, I really love that, taking, uh, taking a phrase out of pop culture and using it uh, for your area of communication. But do you think that perhaps those miracles and the life of Jesus Christ and the infinite amount of impact he still has on the world with uh, more than, well, there's a billion plus Catholics and then count all of the other Christian denominations on top of that huge part of the population of the planet. Is it based on shuck and jive? I don't mean your website, but is it just another version of um, just simply trying to sell a story and a product for its own benefit? Yeah. Um, that's, that, that's very, uh, a good question. Um, and it's something I have to wrestle with. I have to say that, that, that that's a very real possibility. Um, yeah, I, I, I interviewed a guy, David Skrbina, wrote a book called The Jesus Hoax, says that very thing. And uh, he would challenge uh, sort of liberal theologians like me and David Felton, perhaps, and say, listen, this, this isn't a good thing. This, is, this, is, this was a hoax. We would never uh, exp um, um appreciate this kind of hoax in any other setting, why do we give it a pass in religion? And, and, uh, he, he may very well have a good point about that. Uh, and so it's possible. So, but let's put it on a, in a positive way and let's say that human beings, uh, change over time. And so this was a necessity for a while. And, and eventually there will be a critical mass of people who realize that we, well, like we didn't need to worship the sun, uh, People, it took a long time. I'm sure that was a really hard thing to get out of that. Uh, but it happened when a critical mass of people were able to accept that the sun is is not a live being, but, you know, uh, a sun, as we think about it physically today. So many beliefs that we have had through all our, our religions, religion 1.0, let's say, um, we may at, at some point move to a time in which we can bracket those as those things that we used to believe, and now we can find a, a deeper sense of what it means to be human. Okay, and, and we're not here to have a debate. We've acknowledged we, the fact that it's just a matter of conversation back and forth so that our audience and me, so that we can all know a little bit more about another point of view by the time the hour is over. So let me ask you this. If we simply go along with the idea that Jesus was just man and not divine and not the Son of God, if he was just perhaps an extraordinary leader, an amazing human being for his time, with a philosophy of life that was so valuable that it has lasted all this time, 
and had nothing to do with changing the wine at the wedding at Cana or raising Lazarus from the dead, moving the miracles completely out of his life and out of the Gospels. Are you concerned that your dismissal of Jesus as one of the most important human beings that ever lived might possibly have a negative effect on those people whose lives have been devoted to his teachings? I think being, I think what what I'm hearing you ask is that being a, a minister is a grave responsibility, and I don't take it lightly. And um, and so in in whatever I do in my teaching and preaching, pastoral care, uh, recognizing that it is all with people. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and uh, and and these are very cherished things. I mean, this is my mother. My that's where I got my faith from. From childhood. Uh, and and it would be yes, very um, just mean spirited. I think to try to dismiss something. So I, I try to be very, I, I don't know if I succeed at it, but I do try to be very careful um, in terms of h- how that's communicated. On the other hand, you can't let that care from what you want to communicate stop you from communicating. So you're, you're, you're always in there. But uh, I, I find the Jesus story um, incredibly important and the figure of Jesus. And, and, and there's, there's a sense in which one could say that those metaphors that we have about him, uh, the risen Christ, so it, it is a powerful psychological, um, theological reality within. We, we all know uh, that experience of being defeated and then yet finding that not be defeated finding our value, finding our risenness, our resurrection uh, in life itself. So when I talk about those metaphors or, or Lazarus rising from the dead or, or water to wine, any of those those metaphors, you know, they didn't happen literally, but they can still be powerful parables for life itself. See, if so, I stop by your, your uh, congregation in Beaverton, Oregon, and I just might because I spent some time in Oregon, right. and it, it sounds like a Sunday uh, that would be well worth spending uh, just to listen to one of your sermons, I think. What do your sermons consist of? Well, the, I'm actually preaching through uh, the lectionary right now. I haven't done that in a long time. I, I stopped uh, the lectionary, meaning of, uh, I'm assuming I've, uh, that is uh, the the scriptures that were were given, you know, uh, by by the uh, the folks who make the the church. Uh, what you're supposed to read on Sunday. And so I haven't done it I, for, for probably a dozen years. And I said, well, I'm going to try it again and see if, what, what the lectionary says these days. And so it's been really kind of a, a remarkable, kind of interesting thing. So preaching through what, whatever the Gospel of John, I had to run through five uh, sermons on John as bread, you know. And so you, so it, for me, I had to really say, oh, what, what, where, where are we with this again? And, and it was really kind of an, an exciting experience, actually, to, um, to be able to look at these ancient marvelous texts, uh, just try to find the wisdom in them and, and see uh, what, how that connects with uh, what I and what our congregation and, and our world are facing today. Do you so consider I, the, the Bible a, a great and important guide for your life? Well, yes and no. I also think the Bible is very repressive and has caused lots of problems. And so it's very important for us to be able to read it critically. 
and to be able to uh, really recognize that there are a lot of voices in this competing uh, narrative and and uh, trying to find ways to to tease it out. Um, and, th- and this again goes back to Crossan. He he thinks of it as a as like a heartbeat. There's this incredible liberating message in it, you know, of of, of justice. And uh, and then then right after that, the empire comes back and knocks you down, you know. And so that's within the Bible itself. So it's 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 definitely a, a story of humanity that we would be foolish to ignore. I find it extremely interesting listening to you and your freedom of thought, and particularly considering the fact that you are an active Presbyterian minister as a pastor of the Southminster uh, Presbyterian Church in Beaverton, Oregon. I, I just think that that's so much more interesting than simply saying, okay, I'm going to write a book now and upset people because... Uh, I'm going to call myself an atheist, and I'm going to prove how wrong everybody else is. Are you familiar with the uh, talk show host and comic, Bill Maher? Yes, I am. All right. So uh, besides being a professional stand-up comic and television host, real time with Bill Maher, uh, he also takes an enormous amount of pride in being an atheist. Uh, And tends to belittle, and I say this as somebody who thinks that Bill Maher is funny, except when he's belittling people. And um, there is a kind of smug arrogance about his atheism. He often brings in uh, uh, questions about the sanity of people who are willing to guide their lives and their families' lives after the teachings of some fantasy figure living on a cloud in the sky. You may have heard that. Uh, How is that different, though, from your seemingly genteel approach toward rejecting the idea of God? Yeah, part of, you know, it's, it's one thing to be little, but you have to be little people who are more powerful than you, if that's what you're gonna do. And, uh, and so, so it's okay to, to do some mocking, but it can't be for at people who are, don't have as much power as you do. And he has a lot of power. So there aren't very many people more powerful than him because he has the media and I have power too. Um, here we are, I'm on the radio with you. I have a, I have a church, I have all of that. So whenever you talk again, it has to be about, uh, a, a justice in one's speech. Now, as far as what, and and this is and so I should say another thing about what atheism is, and I know that atheist ha- is more of a social construction than it is a philosophical one. Um, I, I I think that uh, people expect well if you're an atheist you're, you're going to be against church. Well, no, you know, you don't have to be that. Um, if if you depending on how you define it, and again, um, making. Well, like I say, belittling or making fun uh, of of people for their beliefs, I don't I don't think is is you know, a, a great thing. I mean, it you, know, you make you make your friends laugh, but that's about it. And and it isn't about that. When I talk to people who are in my church and when we do their things on behalf of faith, probably intellectually, they are all over the place, and they may have doubts when they read the Bible of some God doing something or or whatever it might be. And if I were just to say, no, you just got to believe it, 
that wouldn't they would they would be alienated wouldn't have any place to go or grow with that but if we allow people to be able to wrestle with those questions well i don't even know if i really do believe in um god and 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 be able to have that be real then then we can go places then we can talk about it and and it's really for me, actually, it's a matter of pastoral care where, where I come from. So I, I'm not about um, messing with people, even though sometimes I'll, I'll tease and I'll jar and I'll throw it back and I'll take on the, the folks who want to, you know, put me in a box or put other people in a box and throw the box out. But ultimately, at the end of the time, it's about how we can help, we can help life, how we can help people find uh, meaningful and fulfilling lives and get them to take risks for, for, for things that are important, justice and goodness. Tell me about Mr. and Mrs. Shuck years and years ago and that little boy that they raised, little John Shuck. Tell me about him. Tell me about you as a child. Oh, as a child. Yeah, my father is, uh, is still living. He's 100 years old. We celebrated his 100th birthday uh, this June 6th. He is, uh, is a professor of chemistry, um, taught at Fresno State, and then decided he wanted to become a cowboy. And so left that job and became a cattle rancher. <laughs> and at that very moment, I was born. And so my mother, who kind of liked Fresno, suddenly living up in the boonies in upstate Washington, and she doesn't have any friends. And so she's befriended by a member of the Assembly of God Church. And so this young Unitarian woman becomes uh, Pentecostal. Oh. And I, baby, follow her along. And so I, so she had a religious conversion, uh, which she took through all her life, and she was very bright about it as well. She knew usually we, more than the minister did about the Bible. She t- took it on. And so I have from her that I inherited a deep faith and a deep, a deep love. And I know it sounds a little um, perhaps uh, saccharine, but I, my first memories are singing hymns with her while we're in the pickup, you know, feeding the cattle on this ranch. So it's, it was really deeply important. My father, on the other hand, is a rationalist, and he didn't have, care about religion at all and didn't thought it was all false. But he was a good sport, and he went to church with my mom, you know. He, and so they let him play his clarinet in church, and so he was good for that. So <laughs> I have within me, I often think about that, they, these two beautiful forces, one of, of, of rational, clear, scientific kinds of thinking, and the other of a real wonder and uh, depth of, of faith. And uh, there will always be uh, in, within me, I, I think of it as, as uh, lovers dancing. Can you understand a great scientific mind also being a great spiritual person? Yes, yeah. So they can, co- they can coexist. And I think sometimes it's difficult because uh, spirituality, again, has often wanted to, well, the, the, the church authorities, and when that happens, it some, sometimes it makes a contest between them. I don't know if it has to be that way. I, I think uh, true uh, uh, exploration of, of one's mind is a spiritual act. Would you consider your ministry in Beaverton, Oregon, to be a real success, John, if your entire congregation followed you into atheism, if they all said in one mass response to your sermons, you're right, John, you're right, Pastor John, all this time we've been listening to you and kind of putting it aside, 
But no, we don't believe in God either. Would that make you a success? No, and I, and I really should come back and, and really help define this again. Atheism for me, when I say it, it's, it's in, in one sense, it's a parable. In one sense, it's a teaching tool. Uh, it, it, uh, and it just happens to be there. Uh, no, what would be my success? My success is if people in my congregation would say, this is what my life means this is what my life means now. This is where I need to go. I've been, I've been here or I've been there, but I really think that I want to devote my life right now to some form of justice and goodness, to be able to be transformed in some positive way, uh, to uh, be able to uh, find hope where there's just a lot of, of, of misery and to be able to... Uh, be able to encourage one another. I, I think that would be a great success for me. If, if people were to come to my church and be able to leave it and say, thank you, I'm, I think I'm going to continue to go out and um, try to be the best person I can be in, in this world. Do you baptize babies? Um, yeah, I do. What's the uh, point of it? Oh, I think it is... Oh, I think it's a beautiful ritual, especially when the parents and we can get together and, and create what that ritual means. And, and, and uh, to be able to say, yes, we're going, the, the baby is part of this magnificent life, this world, this universe, and following in the, in the, in the spiritual teachings of, of, of Jesus, because it's, we're Christian, and, and, and because I think he's got a lot of good stuff to say. And uh, yeah, I think it's a celebration of of being in this world and taking a commitment to raise this child uh, with with dignity and, and with love. You know, John, there's a, a, a kind of a special admiration, I feel, as we've talked this early part of uh, the hour. Actually, it's the later part of the hour, but it's gone by so fast uh, that I've, I've completely lost track of the minutes. But I, I admire you because I keep thinking you probably would have had an easier life, not necessarily a more fulfilling life, but an easier life if you had just said, I'm going to be ordained as a Presbyterian minister and I'm not going to rock any boats. I'm going to just go ahead and believe what I believe and, uh, and then let everybody else find their own values in what they believe. Or you might easily have had a better life, an easier life, if you had just said, what do I want to be when I grow up? Let me see, Presbyterian minister? No, 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 thank you. Not for John Shug. I'm just going to be an atheist, uh, and I'm going to write about that, and I'm going to do public speaking about that. But no, you decided you wanted to be a Presbyterian minister and an atheist. You must threaten people with that category. Yeah, I think it is threatening. I know when um, I, there is a an article, basically how this kind of all started uh, in 2011. This is where it began, and I had my blog, Shuck and Jive, and and I remember the Presbyterian magazine came out with uh, an article about what Presbyterians believe, and so I, I read the article and I and I said to myself, Gosh, I don't know if I really believe much of any of this, and so it got me thinking. Well, what what do I believe, and what do I really think? 
is true. And so I wrote down eight points of things that I, that I was thinking about. And, uh, and, and then that created a, a bit of a stir, um, but it didn't actually create the stir until I moved here. The biggest stir was, uh, and I first, and I moved here in 2015, here being Beaverton, Oregon, and uh, Hamet Mehta, uh, the friendly atheist, he has a, a website, and he, and he caught on to somehow that this happened and, and did an interview with, or had me write an article about it, and uh, and the title of the article uh, ended up being, I'm a Presbyterian minister who doesn't believe in God. And, and the title of the article I originally wanted was Beliefless Christianity, but obviously his was far more catchy. Well, it went all over. Christian media picked it all up and, and whatnot. And it ended up being a kind of a big thing. And we had even protesters outside the church <laughs> who had found this from Portland street preachers uh, yelling at our people and then all of this kind of thing. And so it ended up being a real... A big deal, and and then you'd read the comments. It was nothing I'd ever done before. It ever been this big, I, you know, in terms of responses and just comment after comment of people angry and uh, and whatnot. Although that wasn't all of the comments, and some of the comments were quite thoughtful and knew knew what I was talking about. So I, I think that that just comes with the territory of um, when people challenge things and put two things together. It's just like a parable, two things, one side, one thing alongside another that don't always seem to go together or shouldn't go together. It creates uh, uh, some anxiety, but it also, I believe, and that isn't just the only goal of that, uh, it creates an anxiety, a crisis, and then you have to work through it. And, and when you work through it, you can come out, I think, on, 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 uh, on another side here than which that is, has been helpful. I think the saddest thing that you just said is – Describing that picture of people yelling at one another across the street yeah. be because, because of the disagreement that they have about the existence of God. But it could be as simple as uh, whether you use this Bible or that Bible, or whether you go to church on Sunday or Friday. Is there ever any hope that that's going to end? <laughs> well, sure, and that's much. Uh, I, I think there there is hope, and and I think the hope comes from not being afraid to be able to bear witness to what it's a good, wonderful religious phrase. Bear witness to to what you what you see and hear, and and do it with love and with kindness, and uh, because I think that's that's what. Uh, helps move society forward or the brave people. That's who we remember. That's who we remember throughout our, our history. We remember the people who were willing to say what they really saw, uh, even when everybody was telling them, no, you don't see that or that isn't true. And they said, no, I really do see this. I really do see, you know, earth going around the sun or whatever it might be. And it was those people who ended up charting a path uh, for the rest of us. I think, so, of, I think of Martin Luther King when you describe courageous people uh, yeah. charting a path. But wait, Martin Luther King continued, at least to everyone's understanding and knowledge, he continued to believe in God. Was he just a fool? That didn't get him in trouble, God. What got him in trouble, I think, was the Vietnam War. And that was the real God. He challenged the God um, that had become the God, uh, and that was American empire. And, uh, and I think that's one of the things that we really need to talk about is what, what is, what is the God? 
out there that is the God in people's lives? What is the ultimate concern? Um, and uh, and his, his namesake, Martin Luther, uh, for the Protestant reformer, you know, said, you know, it's, it's one thing to fight yesterday's battles. But, you know, where it really counts is to fight the battle for today. And um, and that's what Martin Luther King did. That's the, that was, for me, his legacy. At the, near the end of his uh, career before he was assassinated, you know, he was um, – he, he had lost a lot of his friends, uh, particularly even those in the civil rights movement because he was going on and, and attacking uh, American empire. And so that's, for me, that's why I admire Martin Luther King Jr. the most – is because he never gave up. He didn't just rest on his laurels. Oh, we got the civil rights vote passed. He went. He continued to push that ground. But he uh, does. He but, does remind me, though, of extraordinarily impressive people in our time. Uh, great minds. Some of them scientists. Some of them theologians. But still, great, deep-thinking human beings who still openly acknowledge your belief in God. Does that humble you? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I should, I, I should say that. Yes. So, and, and this is, again, when I, and I think it's okay to, to, to come back on and push back on this one when I talk about atheism. I, I, I will say, I, 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 there is, what, what is, what God the ultimate of justice and peace, the, 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 the thing that you say gets you in the lightning score. Ultimately, I, I'm going to be in a grave. That should humble me. The universe itself should humble me. Um, the uh, suffering of the world needs to humble me. All of these things definitely do that. And I think, again, what, what God would be that which is bigger than any name I could have atheist or theist and so yes there i i would definitely love to have a con wish i could have a conversation with martin luther king about that but for him i know it was it was, a, it was, it was like like crossan would say it's, it's that metaphor that you have to have some kind of unifying metaphor uh, of, of reality otherwise you put into it other metaphors like wealth or mammon or greed and what might surprise some members of our audience would be the stunning reality that Martin Luther King Jr. might look forward to having a conversation with you, Pastor John Shuck, <laughs> a very, very interesting person because he continues to delve and dig. Uh, by the way, as a person uh, professionally in my life, I've uh, been depending on her for 29 years now, 29 years of putting up with a talk show host that asks for guests all over the world, and she has to find them. Rosemary Scarfo, and I, I bring her up, not because she gets paid by the mention, uh, but because she is somebody who's been in radio all that time. And before that, she spent nearly 10 years as a Roman Catholic nun, an Ursuline nun, devoting hmm. her life at that time to the religious and never regretted it. But now she says she has to go back to her church on Sunday and listen to priests, respected priests, talk about Jesus being the Son of God. How does Rosemary Scarfo do that after listening to you this hour? <laughs> 
I I don't know how. Uh, uh, but for uh, I, I first of all I'm um, I'm touched by the fact that that she, you know, uh, some of my uh, most admired people are are uh, sisters, religious sisters, who are 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 those who have taken on uh, the the bureaucracy, the huge uh, church. Uh, and, and, and I mean, you talk about Presbyterian church, well, that's nothing compared to the Roman Catholic church <laughs> and it's a hierarchy and it's authority and, and all of that. And so these sisters religious, you know, taking on those guys, uh, you know, and, and doing it subversively or shuck and jive if they have to, to whatever it is to, to, to bring justice and compassion to this world. And so it doesn't matter whatever your institution is, wherever you go, they're all going to be that way. We, 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 they tend to ossify and authoritarians get in charge and all that kind of stuff. But the message of Jesus still is, 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 is a good, powerful, incredibly humbling and inspiring message of, 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 Doing good and being humble and seeking forgiveness and and making life uh, making life better and hopeful for others. Rosemary just looked over, by the way, at the studio, and nodded her approval. I don't oh, think I don't think she's leaving the church, uh, but she certainly may invite you to come back to the God Show, uh, <laughs> Pastor Shuck. Uh, l- let me ask you something that just occurred to me. You seem like a guy who has a lot of principles in the face of all of those people that you annoy that we talked about earlier. Uh, What doubts do you have spiritually? Yeah. What doubts do I have? Well, I'll I'll tell you, I'll be very personal with you. I lost a son um, six years ago. My my son suicided uh, at the age of 25. And that changed my life, uh, obviously, in, 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 in many ways. So I'm, I'm always doubting uh, whatever, I'm, whatever I'm doing um, in, in terms of, of, of what did I do wrong there. And I know all of that's, you know, whatever. But none, nonetheless, you, you still have that. that. That will always be an incredible, the void, the void of, of, of existence itself, that there is a place that is, that can draw one self and suck one in like a black hole and um my faith um keeps me from jumping in that hole to tell you the truth um and so that's that's um a a part of i i guess those would those would be the doubts um and and it's there it's it's there 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 really is a darkness um in in this world and um and I and I rely a, a, a great deal on on the tradition of faith and the uh, the people who have been there throughout uh, history, who've also faced that void in some way or another, and have and have managed to continue on another day and continue to love uh, amidst uh, amidst great uh, sorrow. Can you understand the people who lose children, particularly at their own hands? Can you understand them blaming God? Oh, sure, you can. You can blame, yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't blame God. I remember I had a counselor afterward, and I said, "God to me is just just this stump. Um, they're just they're just meaningless." I, I, I've 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 grown even just a little bit since since that time. Um, but but I get it. I, I there's there I don't I I really try. I, I think I don't have any judgment now 
at least on on people whatever whatever it is that they believe you know uh, with, and, and if they've got to hold on to a, a belief in God that gets them through the day and the night bless you do it you know um I, I'm, I'm for that well whatever whatever it, it, it takes um, to uh, keep your head up we're talking with Pastor John Shuck, and uh, I really hope you've been listening. I mean, I'm talking about listening uh, without distractions and listening to the choice of words and some of the subtleties, some of the pastels. Uh, and uh, you certainly don't have to be drawn into the world that does not believe in a supernatural God. And I don't think that John Shuck is even particularly interested in you deciding to become a Presbyterian overnight, uh, unless you want to move to Beaverton and help out the cause there. Uh, but this, this has been a fascinating conversation for me, and I appreciate uh, David Felton here at the Fountains uh, United Methodist Church for letting us know about John Shuck. Um, let me ask you about what you're going to do, John. And I feel that we can be on a first name basis. I'm Pat and yes, you're John. Pat, okay. Uh, what are you going to do if a few seconds after your last breath, and that should be many, many decades yet uh, to be uh, realized? few seconds after your last breath and all of a sudden you find yourself in that much discussed pathway of bright light headed toward who knows where what are they doing with this and I'm drawn as so many people have written into this end goal of some kind where am I going and all of a sudden there's God, and on his right side is Jesus. What the hell are you going to do, John? <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to be amazed, and I'm going to be um, hoping that they aren't going to hold it against me, all the stuff I did my whole life. I'm going to be hoping that the true message of God and Jesus has been what they've promised us, and that is forgiveness and, and welcome. Are you a good man? Oh, no. I'm a mixed fan. I'm not good. I'm not bad. I'm a human. Well, the folks in Beaverton uh, at uh, the Southminster uh, Presbyterian Church uh, are certainly hoping for some leadership. And since this will be broadcast now for the first time this coming Sunday, we're doing this, by the way, interestingly, on the 11th of September, and this coming Sunday, you may be hearing it right now, as a matter of fact, at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but it doesn't matter, because even if you miss it, uh, you can still hear it. Well, wait a minute. If there isn't a God, how could we be on infinitely, on throughout the universe, with the God Show, and guests like Pastor John Shuck? I'm Pat McMahon.